Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. Good morning, church. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and as always, we'll typically have Bibles out in the lobby. You can always feel free to grab as well as we'll have the scripture up on the screen as well if that's easier for you to follow along. But Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning as we are continuing uh, preaching through the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark. And the title of this morning's sermon is Sovereign Over the Storm. Sovereign Over the Storm. And the reason I bring up the title to you this morning is because I think we can come to passages of Scripture in the book of Mark that are pretty familiar to us. So if you grew up in church and you grew up going to Sunday school, you've maybe heard this story before, how Jesus calms the storm. And so, But what I get worried about is when we come across Scriptures that are so familiar to us that we already jump ahead to the application point. Right? So I don't know about you, but when I read this passage for the first time, my mind just quickly jumped ahead to the application point of Jesus helps us through the storms of life. All right? At first read, that was kind of what my main takeaway was, that Jesus helps us through the storms of life. And, and certainly that is true. That is true. And we are going to get there this morning. Jesus does help us through the storm of life. But that is not the main point of this passage this morning. And so in order for us to get there in a healthy way where we can even praise God in the storm, right? If you know that Casting Crown song, right? We're going to praise God in the storm. And, and just FYI, I, I do like most Casting Crown songs, just only the first 10,000 times I hear them on the radio. And then after that, I start to get a little angry. I don't know what that is in me. But, but uh, it's a good song, okay? We're going to be able to praise God in the storm. But before we get there... We need to sit and we need to rest and we need to enjoy two truths this morning, okay? Two truths. The first truth is that Jesus is sovereign over the storm and that Jesus is more powerful than the storm. Jesus is sovereign over the storm. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. And after those truths, then we will get to the application of how Jesus will help us get through the storms of life. Okay, and so we're going to say this over and over this morning until this gets stuck in your head more than that Casting Crown song is now stuck in your head. Okay, I'm going to continue to say this, that Jesus is sovereign over the storm. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. Therefore, we can live by faith and not by fear. Okay, Jesus is sovereign over the storm. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. Therefore, we can live by faith and not by fear. And sometimes when we do come across familiar passages like this, it's, it's good to hear someone's, uh, someone who hasn't heard this passage before get their thoughts on this, okay? And so in his book called Jesus, Mean and Wild, I love that title, Mark Galley, he wrote about this experience that he had, okay? So this was a pastor out in the Sacramento, California area, and he was pastoring a church where a group of refugees started coming to his church. And the group of re- refugees were from the Thailand area. They did not know much about Jesus. They did not know much about Christianity. And so he suggested that, hey, let's study the book of Mark together. And so hear this, what he writes about his interaction with them as they read through this uh, passage. He writes, after we read the passage in which Jesus calms the storm, I began as I usually did with more theologically sophisticated groups. I asked them about the storms in their lives. 
And there was a puzzled look among my refugee friends, so I elaborated. You know, we all have storms, problems, worries, troubles, uh, uh, things in our life that Jesus can give us peace in the midst of those storms. So what are your storms, I asked. Again, more puzzled silence. Finally, one of the men hesitantly asked, do you mean that Jesus actually calmed the wind and the sea in the middle of a storm? And I thought he was finding the story incredulous. I didn't want him to get distracted with the problem of miracles, so I replied, yes, but we shouldn't get hung up on the details of miracles. We should remember that Jesus can calm the storms in our lives. Another stretch of awkward silence ensued until another replied, well, if Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, he must be a powerful man. At this, they all nodded vigorously, chattered excitedly with one another. Except for me, the room was full of wonder, and I suddenly realized that they grasped the story better than I did. Amen. So church, don't jump ahead to the application point of Jesus helping us through the storms of life. Don't jump there yet. We have to first sit in awe of the fact that Jesus commanded the wind and the waves, and get this, they obeyed. They obeyed. That is a big deal. So let's pray. Okay, let's pray. Let's ask God to give us kind of a fresh set of eyes and that we too would be filled in awe and wonder of this great God that we worship. So let's pray with me and we'll jump in. Father God, we do come before you this morning just asking God, asking that you would renew just a sense of awe and wonder of who you are. God, may we not approach a story, may we not approach your word with calloused hearts that, have just, that has heard this preached before, that has heard this taught before, but God, give us a fresh set of eyes, give us a fresh set of ears to hear this in a way that we, we have not heard it before. God, would you fill us with, with a sense of just awe and wonder of your greatness, of your sovereignty, of your power. Would your glory be put on display this morning? May we be captivated by it to where we cannot think or dwell or be distracted by anything else, but we just sit in awe of your glory. We beg and plead that you would move and work through the proclamation of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Jesus is sovereign over the storm. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. Therefore, we can live by faith and not by fear. Let's look at Mark 4, verse 35. Let's start going through this text. Mark 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them, he, they took him Excuse me. They took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were there with him. Archaeologists say that, that fishing boats in that time at the Sea of Galilee, they were likely, they were about 27 feet long, about 8 feet wide. They would have fo like four uh, paddles and rowers, like two on each side, and the boats would typically fit about 15 to 20 people in them. And so that's likely the, the boat that Jesus was in, something similar to that. It wasn't a small rowboat, and yet this wasn't a, a big cruise ship either. Kind of a, a medium-sized boat that fit around 15 to 20 people. And the Sea of Galilee was pretty famous uh, for having these sudden onset of really severe storms. Just its geographic location with surrounding hills, storms would come up all of a sudden. And it had been a long day of teaching. It was now evening, and Jesus and his disciples, they get into the boats to cross to the other side. 
Now, it's important to first notice who initiates the crossing of the sea. Jesus says in verse 35, let us go across to the other side. This is not an accidental storm. This is not just bad luck that the disciples are experiencing here. All right, Jesus, who is God, who is all-knowing, who is in control of all things, who holds all things together, that is the Jesus we are talking about, who has initiated them to cross the sea. And he knows that the storm is awaiting them. He knows. Jesus is sovereign over the storm. And then the storm hits. Look at verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Okay, the, the storm hits, the waves start filling up, crashing into the boat, the boat starts filling up with water, and the disciples like us would, would have done, they start to kind of panic and fear. All right, I think we can all relate to some degree how the disciples were reacting in this situation because when storms hit, whether they be actual storms like actual natural disasters or thunderstorms or whether it be hardships, trials, persecution, things that come in our life, storms tend to make us want to panic and fear. They tend to cause us to want to be anxious and fearful. And the reason they do that is because they reveal something to us. They reveal a truth to us. We panic and are anxious because storms are revealing something to us. And what they are revealing, storms are revealing that we are not in control. Storms are revealing that we are not in control. Now, most of us like to live life, both Christians and non-Christians, we like to live with the delusional thinking that we have got things under control. Right? I mean, we can live with this false sense of confidence that we control our own lives, that we've got it all together, that we are controlling everything. And then a storm hits. Someone gets sick. We lose our job. Someone dies unexpectedly. A natural disaster occurs. And the truth is revealed that we do not have ultimate control. And when we start to feel out of control, we start to become fearful, start to become panicky, we start to become anxious. And then we start to question the actions of God. Look at verse 38. But he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now this is one of the only times in the Bible that we see Jesus slept. Okay, that Jesus slept. And so we do need to understand an important, an important doctrinal point here, okay? Because we get a picture of both Jesus' humanity as well as the fact that he is God, right? He's about to command the wind and waves to cease. And so this is a doctrinal truth that we need to understand this morning. What we're seeing in this passage is what theologians call the hypostatic union, okay? If you want to impress churchy people, you can talk about hypostatic union. Or if you want to make friends with people who aren't going to probably be very much fun, you can talk about the hypostatic union, okay? And that's a fancy way of saying that what we believe is that Jesus is fully God and fully man, okay? Two natures, one person. If that's hard for, for you to get your mind around, that's a good thing. You want a God that you can't get your mind around, okay? 
fully God, fully man, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity who has eternally existed. He is equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit in nature, power, and glory. And 2,000 years ago, he put on flesh, and he came down to earth to walk and live amongst us. He was born of a virgin. He was born, he did not inherit the sin nature of his father, and he went on to live a sinless life. And him being fully God and fully man, he was the perfect mediator between God and humanity. Okay, hypostatic union, fully God, fully man. All right, back to the text, verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The storm reveals the truth to humanity that we are not in control the disciples start to fear and become anxious and start to panic. And then out of that fear, they start to question the actions of Jesus. Jesus is sleeping, and they misinterpret this to mean he doesn't care. Look, they question him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And I don't know about you, but when I've been faced with a situation that I don't understand and with a situation that I feel that is out of my control... If I'm not responding by faith, I'm responding out of fear, and I will often be quick to question the actions of God. God, don't you care that people are perishing? Other translations say, God, don't you care that we're about to drown? Now, this really hits home for some of us recently who we've had a good friend who, who has lost their, their, their child who drowned, right? Like, like, in the past couple of weeks, I literally have said these words like, God, don't you care? Don't you care that people are perishing? And you can watch the news. You can see all the natural disasters that are happening in the world. You can see kind of darkness on display when you watch the news and all the bad things that are happening. People are perishing, and when we feel out of control, we respond in fear and we question God. We say, God, don't you care? Don't you care about these people perishing? And we can start to believe that God doesn't care. We, we can start to think that maybe he is just indifferent about this. But church, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Look at verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. I cannot emphasize this enough. Jesus spoke, Peace, be still. And the wind and the waves obeyed. They obeyed. Jesus is sovereign over the storm. Now, what does it mean when we say that Jesus is sovereign? That's not a word we always use, but what do we mean when we say Jesus is sovereign or God is sovereign? Most simply put, what we mean is that Jesus is in control. To say that God is sovereign means that God is in control. He is in control. He is on the throne. Nothing is spinning out of control. Nothing is catching him off guard, and nothing is frustrating his plans. So when a storm hits, 
When you are tempted to go into freak out panic mode because of your laugh, lack of control is being revealed, you probably need to write this down on a note card to put in your Bible. You need to write down, Jesus is sovereign over the storm. He is in control. He is on the throne. Nothing is spinning out of control. Nothing is catching him off guard. And nothing is frustrating his plans. I'm going to read that again. Jesus is sovereign over the storm. He is in control. He is on the throne. Nothing is spinning out of control. Nothing is catching him off guard. And nothing is frustrating his plans. That's sometimes hard to believe in the midst of a storm, but it is true. It is true. Psalm 103, verse 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 135, verse 6, says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Jesus led them into the storm. Jesus allowed the storm to rage for a time. And then Jesus commanded when the storm should cease. This was not an accidental storm. This was not just bad luck. Jesus led them into the storm. Jesus allowed the storm to rage for a time. And Jesus commanded when the storm should cease. Well, we might, be, we might be starting to understand a little bit more how he is in control, that he is sovereign. But doesn't he care? Doesn't he care that they are about to perish? Doesn't he care that people are perishing in the world? Church, he cares more than we can fathom or even try to understand. But you see, he came to save us from the only storm that could actually drown us. The storm on the Sea of Galilee was not ultimately what threatened the disciples. The storm on the Sea of Galilee was not ultimately what was most dangerous and threatening to the disciples. And for you and me, physical death is even not what threatens us the most. Jesus came to save us from the only storm that could actually drown us, and that is the storm of God's righteous, holy, just wrath that will be poured out on sin. Jesus does care that we are perishing. And he came to allow himself to be drowned in our place so that that storm, would, he could say, peace, be still. God's wrath has been appeased. And I had to repent in the last couple of weeks of some of my anger and frustration and fear and accusing God of otherwise. Because church, he does care. He cares. He cared so much that he came to earth. He put on flesh to live the perfect life of obedience that we failed to live so that his righteousness could be credited to us. And he died a sacrificial death on a cross. He allowed himself to take the penalty and the punishment for our sin on our behalf. 
See, humanity's sin, our sin, our disobedience, our rebellion against God, it is such a treacherous crime because God is such a holy God. He is holy, holy, holy. That means he is absolutely pure. He is absolutely true. He is absolutely light. He is absolutely and completely righteous and just. And because of his justice, sin was so treacherous that it deserved to be drowned at the bottom of the sea. It deserved his wrath to be poured out on it. And so listen, we don't walk away here this morning thinking that the main point is that, hey, Jesus is going to help us through the storms of life. No, he will. He will. But he cares about you even more than you think. He didn't just come to help you get through some of these lesser storms. He came to save you from the only storm that could actually drown you. He came to appease the only storm that could actually harm you. He is the true and better Jonah who allowed himself to be thrown into the raging sea so that his people would be safe. And when he was crucified on the cross and he said, it is finished, the only storm you had to worry about was quieted and stilled. He said, peace, be still. And so do not misinterpret his patience with the world right now. Do not misinterpret that as him not caring. Do not misinterpret that as, as him being indifferent to human suffering and perishing. God's kindness in delaying his return is so that more might come to repentance and faith. It's so that more and more might come to experience this great calm that is only found through faith in Jesus Christ who willingly allowed himself to experience the only storm we really had to worry about. And so when you see human suffering and perishing going on through the world, do not think that that means Jesus doesn't care or God doesn't care. Know that, that he is waiting, he's being patient with us so that more might believe, that more might trust him as their savior, that more might experience this great calm that he has provided for those whose faith is in him. And church, when you now are in a lesser storm, do not allow yourself to be tempted to think that you are under God's wrath. For those whose faith is in Christ, who are in Christ, you are no longer under the wrath of God. You are no longer under the punishment of God. Do not let yourself go there and think that when you are experiencing hardships and trials, that God is somehow uh, how, uh, getting you back or, 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 or punishing you for that. No, all punishment was taken by Christ. Peace was made by the blood of Christ. The storms that we face are not for the purpose of punishment. Instead, they are for the purpose of sanctification. That we might go across to the other side with Jesus. Storms are not punishment for followers of Jesus. Storms produce followers of Jesus. Jesus is sovereign over the storm. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. Therefore, we can live by faith and not by fear. 
Notice, notice the power of Jesus in this passage. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. I mean, think about those times in your life that you've experienced a good storm, okay? I've never been in a serious hurricane or tornado or anything like that. Maybe some of you have. But I remember uh, a few years ago uh, on vacation in Gulf Shores, Alabama, we were in a condo right on the beach when a storm was starting to roll in off of the ocean. And we were up like on the 20th floor. It was a big condo. So you stepped out onto the balcony and the wind just hit you. It felt like it was 100 miles per hour. It probably wasn't. But it felt, it felt like that. You stepped out. You immediately were just like almost blown away by the wind. And you saw the clouds kind of rushing in over the land. You saw the lightning out over the ocean. And it was such a cool experience. If you've ever experienced a good storm, you are quickly reminded of its power. The wind, the clouds, the thunder, the lightning. All of a sudden, you start to feel very small, right? You might, you know, at times in life, you might kind of puff yourself up thinking, hey, man, I got this under control. You experience a good storm. You all of a sudden feel very small in the universe. And you think about that power. You think about that thunder. You think about that lightning. And this passage, we are reminded that any created thing, whether it be the wind, the waves, the thunder, the lightning, while it can be powerful, those things can be almost overwhelmingly powerful. Can you imagine the power of the one who created those things? Wind and waves can be so powerful. Can you imagine the power of the one who holds them together? Hebrews 1, verse 3, speaking of Jesus, says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. Now listen, the power of God is just as important to understand as the love of God. Now the love of God is more popular to talk about. I hope every week we're talking about the love of God because we are just starting to scratch the surface of how beautiful and deep and rich the love of God really is, okay? But you can't forget about the power of God. All right? Don't forget about his power. Because if we forget about his power, then we start to become a generation of anxiety-prone, cowardice Christians who, yeah, know that Jesus loves them, but isn't sure if he's really powerful to do anything about it. The theologian and pastor A.W. Pink, along with these same lines, said this. He said, without power... His love and mercy would be feeble pity. Without power, yeah, his love and mercy are great, but without power, it's just, it's just pity. He can't do anything about it. But listen, church, God is love, God is merciful, but he is also powerful. He is powerful. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. This means that nothing is too difficult for him. This means that nothing is too overwhelming for him. This means that, that nothing goes beyond his strength. And this means that nothing is impossible for him. And it is his power 
that we get to experience and participate with when we proclaim the gospel, the good news that God saves through Jesus. In our sin, we were powerless. In our sin, we were powerless. We were enslaved. And when he appeased the only storm that could drown us, when he mediated peace between God and man, when he made a way for God, again, for God to once again dwell with humans, he opened up a way through faith to experience the power of God working in and through us. This is why Paul could say in Romans 1.16, he could say, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And why he could say in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God that is more powerful than the strongest wind and the largest waves. And it is that power that is now working in and through us. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. So church, we don't need to pray small, safe prayers. If we believe that God is all-powerful, then let's dream bigger, let's pray bigger, let's ask more bolder requests of him like we actually believe he's powerful enough to do it. Because I'm tired, I'm honestly, I'm tired of praying just safe prayers that I know I can actually do in my own power. I want to pray, pray prayers that it's going to be only the power of God to accomplish it in and through this church and in and through this city. Jesus is sovereign over the storm. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. Therefore, we can live by faith and not by fear. Look back at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 40. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Notice what happens in these last two verses of our passage. Because you would think that Jesus would calm the storm, and then everyone would just be happy, at peace, go back celebrating. Hey, the storm's down, let's just enjoy this time out on the Sea of Galilee, right? Verse 41 says, And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is so cool because after Jesus calms the storm, the disciples are actually even more fearful because they realize they are in the presence of God. They realize only God could have just done that. Listen, church, following Jesus and living by faith and trusting and relying on him does not necessarily mean that there is no fear in your life at all. But instead, that fear has been transferred from creation to creator. And I'll say that again. Following Jesus, living by faith, trusting him, relying on him, does not necessarily mean that all fear, all awe and wonder is squelched from your life. But no, there has been a transfer of fear from creation to creator. Psalm 33, verse 8 says this. It says, let all the earth fear the Lord. 
let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Church, we are to be in awe of God. We are to be captivated, just in awe and utter shock of the wonder and the greatness of God. We don't approach with a fear of punishment or wrath because Jesus has appeased that, but we still approach with a sense of awe and wonder at the greatness and the glory of our God. And when you are in awe of God, when you have a healthy fear of God, then all other fears in life start to get squelched out. They start to get diminished. And we start to start experiencing the true joy in life. Because now we can make decisions based on faith instead of making decisions based out of fear. Because we are in awe and wonder of our great God. And look, when when did this fear change? When did their, their sense of awe switch from the storm to Jesus? When did the disciples stop being in awe of the storm but started to be in awe of Jesus? This is when it happened. The change happened when Jesus spoke. When the authoritative word of God went forth, people stopped being in awe of creation, and instead they were in awe of the creator. This is what we do every Sunday, okay? The goal is that the word of God would go forth in our singing, in our preaching, in our reading, as we seat and take the elements of the Lord's Supper, as the word of God goes forth, my hope and my prayer is that as it does that, we would stop being so captivated and in awe of creation, but that we would instead be in awe of God, that we would behold him. And we would see that as we behold him, as we are in, have a healthy fear of him, that all other fears in life just start to be silenced. They don't even compare And it is when you are in the storm that you are going to need God's word the most. Listening to the word of God in the midst of the storm, that is what is going to allow your fear to be transferred from creation to creator. It is the word of God that will cause you to be in awe of him as opposed to all these other things around us. So in concluding this morning, church, let me remind you that as we follow Jesus to the other side, we are going to face some storms. We are. We know that Jesus appeased the only storm that we actually had to fear, but we do face some lesser storms that serve to, to sanctify us, to help us make us more like Jesus and to strengthen our faith. And so when we face these storms, let's, let's not panic Let's not be tempted to become fearful because we know that Jesus is sovereign over the storm. We know that Jesus is more powerful than the storm. And years ago, I had the opportunity to hear a professional uh, triathlete give kind of a a motivational talk, all right? And this, this pro athlete was just sharing some of the training that he did to get ready for these triathlons. And one of the trainings that he did was to train a few weeks with the Navy SEALs. And he was explaining a certain exercise they did, which sounded awful to me, which is probably why I still remember it, okay? But he he was explaining this one exercise he did with the Navy SEALs. What they would do is they would take them down to the deep end of an Olympic-sized pool. They would tie their hands behind their back. They would tie their feet together. And then they would throw them into the deep end. 
Don't try this at home, okay? Don't try this at home. But he said, this is how then they would survive that situation. They would first exhale. They would let all the, their, their, the air out of their lungs, let themselves sink to the bottom. Once they got to the bottom, then they could push off of the bottom and kind of wiggle their way up to the surface of the water to get a breath of air, get another breath, and then down to the bottom again. And they would just keep going up and down. They'd leave them out there for like an hour or something like that. I don't know. It sounded awful. Uh, but I remember what he said was that it wasn't so much physically challenging. Now, to many of us, that would still be very physically challenging, okay? But to the Navy SEALs and a professional triathlon person, that wasn't like running a marathon or doing anything like that. But what was so difficult is that it was mentally challenging. It was extremely difficult not to panic when you are at the bottom of a pool with your hands and feet tied together. And what he said was that what kept him calm in the midst of that exercise was the faith of knowing that this exercise produced Navy SEALs. He knew that people had gone before him. He knew that people were doing this alongside of him. He knew that people were going to come after him who were going to survive this exercise and become Navy SEALs. But if he let himself start to think about his hands being tied, or if he started to let himself think about being at the bottom of a pool, his mind would quickly start to play games and become fearful, become anxious, start to panic. Breathing would get out of control. But if he remained calm and by faith just did the next thing, the next step of the process, he knew he would succeed at that exercise. And the reason I share that story with you this morning is that as followers of Jesus, you can be assured that lesser storms are going to come our way. There are going to be times you feel like you are at the bottom of the pool with your hands tied behind your back. But listen, Jesus, Jesus dealt with the ultimate storm on our behalf. But traveling with Jesus, there are going to be some lesser storms and hardships that we face. But church, I pray that when those times come, that we would not panic, that we would not tempted to remain in fear or question and challenge God. But instead, my prayer would be that we would remain calm and that we would trust that Jesus is sovereign over the storm. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. And we would trust that now we can live by faith and not by fear, knowing that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of his return. Storms are not punishment for followers of Jesus. They produce followers of Jesus. And we can trust that we've had brothers and sisters go before us for thousands of years that have faced hardships and trials. But through faith, they're now enjoying the glory of God on the other side. God has been faithful to us in the past. He is faithful to us in the present. And he will be faithful to us in the future in whatever storm he might lead us into. Jesus is sovereign over the storm. Jesus is more powerful than the storm. Therefore, may we live by faith and not by fear. Let's pray.